Hello, everyone, and we are live, episode 33 of the Fitness Business Growth Podcast. I'm here with Chris Hennessy. How are you, mate? Good, thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. Now, mate, before we jumped on, I was telling you my love and admiration for an outdoor program. And Chris happens to own one of the most successful outdoor programs I've ever come across. No, in fact, that's a lie. It is the most successful outdoor program I've ever come across. So today we're going to dive deep in regards to the Outdoor Club, which Chris has run in Graceville for nine years. And it's not slowing down, it's speeding up. And I'm going to pick Chris's brains of why it's so successful and what the future holds for him. Cue the intro. Welcome to the Fitness Business Growth Podcast, a podcast run by gym owners for gym owners. My name is Mitch, and along with Jamie, we are your hosts, and we will be discussing all the important things that you need to run a successful fitness business. From marketing, to lead generation, to sales, to retention, to staff, and much, much more. So if you are a fitness business owner, then this is for you. We hope you enjoy the following episode and we will speak with you soon. So Chris, we're back and we're broadcasting to the millions and millions of people around Australia. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, mate, I want to thank you for your time today. You are very, very busy, so I do appreciate it. Um, and I mentioned before our intro, I really admire what you've built uh, up in Graceville, uh, running an outdoor program. And I think there's lots of myths and, I guess, misconceptions around what an outdoor program is, the word boot camp, and I guess why um, it works or why it doesn't work. So, Chris, I got this from a Kim Barrett podcast, but it's my favorite question to start with every podcast. If I met you at a party, Chris, we did not know each other. And I said, what do you do? What is your answer to that question, mate? Yeah, well, uh, as I said, my name's Chris Hennessy. I'm the owner of the Outdoor Club Graceville in Brisbane's Inner West. We've been, as Jamie said before, in operation for nine years. We actually celebrate our ninth birthday next Friday, the 1st of September. Uh, we offer 24 sessions a week across five programs, all conducted in beautiful outdoor locations in Brisbane's Inner West. Uh, our main clientele are females aged 30 to 60 who are really looking for yeah, they're fantastic, uh, who are really looking for like a gym alternative. They might have tried, yeah, 45 fit stops. Particularly coming out of COVID, we found that people wanted to be outdoors a little bit more. Uh, so they're just looking to stay fit and functional. And there is a big social element to what we do. So they're just really looking to enjoy their exercise and be outside, I guess. One of my favorite things about an outdoor program, Chris, and you in particular, Lots of gym owners get so hung up on having the world's best facility with the world's best equipment. And quite often they can, they can spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you don't mind, I'll share a quick story. We actually got started with an outdoor program that was wildly successful. So 2015, Mitch and I were tossing up behind buying an Anytime Fitness, believe it or not. And the reason our thought behind buying Anytime was like we wanted to create a direct debit which is what I think every personal trainer, every gym owner wants, pretty much a wage through a direct debit. And we were literally driving to a conveyance office conveyance office to sign a lease for this anytime to purchase it. It was going to cost us $90,000. And we thought to ourselves, do we really need a facility? Do we really need a location to create a direct debit? And we thought, probably not. Uh, and we actually started with a 10-week beginner boot camp program outdoors. We charge 45 a week and we end up getting like 50 members overnight. 
And that is kind of like how we got started to, to where we are now. So I, I love outdoor programs. I love the ease of it. I love setting it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a that's a key thing about outdoor is that we don't have the flexibility of having squat racks or bikes or ski ergs, but it's definitely not about that. It's not about your equipment. I think a lot of trainers, like I said, do get bogged down in having the best equipment and the best facility, but it really is. And most gym members that are successful will tell you that it's about community and building that community. And that's the stuff that people keep coming back for. It's amazing, right? Like I've got, this is episode 33. We all say the same things. Community is more important equipment. And then I see people going out and buying echo bikes and concept two rolls. I'm not saying equipment isn't important, but if we're in business to, to, to make profit, to live a good lifestyle, the question you should ask yourself is, can I do that without investing hundreds and thousands of dollars? And I actually forget, Chris, because we've never done it, that people actually go into debt. Mm-hmm. And I can't even imagine what that feeling is like operating from a position of like, okay, so not only do I got to pay my staff, I got to pay my rent, but I've got this big bank loan behind me that's accruing interest that I've got to pay off too. Yeah, a lot of pressure comes with that too, I think. So I'm the same as you guys. I've never gone into debt to run any of my businesses. So it's a good feeling to be earning turnover or earning a turnover basically from day one and making yeah. a profit from day one. What you said then, Chris, is so important in regards to like it's not a good place to be in, paying back debt. It can be stressful. And I don't care if you're the world's nice guy. And you might be the world's nice guy, Chris. But if you've got debt over you, if you have a bill to pay, you would probably act very, very differently in a day-to-day in regards to how you treat your members, how you treat your family. If you're stressed, but more important, if you get a cancellation, are you going to build them the extra 30 days? Yeah. Are you going to try and hard sell them back into your program? And you being open nine years is just so fucking impressive. And it comes from always doing the right thing by people because you haven't got that stress behind you. You haven't got that big bill coming down your neck. Yeah, that's correct. I always remember a, a business coach I had very early on when I first started my franchise with Step Into Life. He said to me, always operate from a place of abundance, whether you've got two members or 200 members, always treat people like you're from a place of abundance. Whereas if you're operating from a place of desperation, it comes through in everything that you do. And you're right. When you get that cancellation, you get angry at people and you want to charge them as much as you can. Whereas when you're working from a place of abundance, you do the right thing by those people and that in turn keeps them coming back when they're ready again. Um, and I often get, I know you've seen, I guess, working together, I get a lot of returning members coming back because I never burn the bridges on the way out. Man, it's something I was going to say. So me and Chris work together for our Done For Everything service. Now, I promise not to talk about my service on our podcast, but we've given Chris 30 members. But the credit is to you, Chris, because... A lot of those members have come through a text blast that we've done, which have been ex-members returning. And we send those text messages out. Our appointment set has booked them in for phone calls. And the messages are, hey, Chris, I really miss being a part of your program. Hey, Chris, I moved out of the area. I've just come back. Thanks for the invite. As opposed to please stop messaging me. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you treat members the right way, ex-members, sorry, they will come back. And the question becomes like, are you in business for three years or nine like Chris. And even that frame will affect how you treat people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, mate, before the Outdoor Club, uh, I would love to learn more about Step Into Your Life, um, your experience with that franchise, good or bad. And 
what led you to there? What led you to leaving? And what led you to the outdoor club? So first thing, first thing Chris, what, is, what was or what is Step Into Life? Uh, Step Into Life was a very similar model to what we run at the outdoor club. It was um, a national franchise. At one point, they had close to 200 franchises Australia-wide. 200? Uh, yeah, I think when I signed up, uh, they had about 156. So they, they were doing really, really well. It was the biggest provider of outdoor training uh, in Australia. Uh, and they had also expanded into New Zealand. So it was fantastic. It was a really great model. Uh, I have a teaching background in PE teaching. So I came from that background. And when I wanted to transition from being a teacher to becoming a PT full-time, I sort of stumbled across Step Into Life just through coincidence. A, a client that I had had moved to South Australia and was training with them. Um, and I looked at it and everything seemed to work out. The outlay was fairly low. The setup cost and all that was very low. So it seemed so, like a very... Do you, mind, do you mind talking numbers? Like what was the um, setup so cost? $40,000 to buy in a, to get a location. And that was with equipment and a lot of marketing up front. Um, so... It's a fairly low barrier to entry. I mean, the good thing and the bad thing about outdoor training is it's a low barrier to entry and either way, whether you buy into a franchise or not. Um, but I thought it seemed for what we got, it was a reasonable buy-in and there was fairly low risk in it. Um, so so I, 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 mean, I think I missed that number. Was it 40,000? 40,000, yep. So, cool. And would that 40,000 make, because I work with a lot of franchisees, I think this would be really valuable information. What did that 40,000 include? Was it the territory? Was it the equipment? Was it a percentage that went to marketing? What, what did that kind yeah, of include? So, so it was a bit of everything. So it was a franchise fee that you'll pay with any franchise. It was the equipment set up for initially about 20 people. Um, and then it was a, a, about a $5,000 investment in marketing, which was a lot of Google ads and Facebook at the time. Man, that would have been a lot back in the day, five grand. It was. And, and then, I mean, it worked. I grew that um, franchise pretty much through social media. And it, it was one of the fastest growing franchises in the history of Step Into Life. We got to 100 members in about, I think, the first 12 months, which was right. pretty good by then. And I had just perfect linear growth. growth. Everything happened exactly how the franchise said it would happen. Um, and I knew that franchising would suit me because I'm very good at just following a system. And I believe that if you buy into a system that's successful, if you follow it, you're also going to be successful. So, yeah, it worked out really, really well for me. So just to expand on that before, if anyone's listening that is unaware of what franchising is or what franchises are so typically for example and i'm not saying they're good or bad but if you buy into one of the bigger ones f45 bft fit stop strong there's typically a setup fee of between 50 and 60,000, and what that's actually buying is the territory right so for example if i was to open up a a bft in cameron park in newcastle where i live i'd be the only person able to open a bft in cameron park but that's all it buys you. It doesn't buy you the equipment. It doesn't pay for your fit out, which is where I think the step into life model is so amazing because it was 40K for the equipment, for the territory, the marketing and the systems. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a really good deal. And they were, they were as I said, thriving at the time. Um, and unfortunately, over the, the period I was with them, they slowly declined. Uh, I think that was mainly just because well, there's a couple of reasons, but mainly because I think it just needed to be reinvented a little bit um, and, and some money just needed to be invested, particularly in marketing. Um, 
and and since moving from Step Into Life and rebranding to the Outdoor Club, marketing has been where I've spent the majority of the money and it's had the best return. And I mean, I've doubled the size of my franchise since leaving or doubled the size of my location since leaving Step Into Life. So one thing I find, Chris, with outdoor trainers particularly is they run their business like a hobby. It's the mm. classic $10 per session. Um, and I would argue that if you have a program where you're charging $10 per session, it's the middle of winter. Sally hasn't got $10 on her. Sally has to go via the ATM to get her $10 to then give it to you. Sally isn't going to come or Sally will say, I'll pay you later, Chris. And then you're the bad guy following her up. So if you run an outdoor program, have a direct debit, treat it like a gym. It is a massive, massive advantage. You have the direct debit without the, without the cost of owning a gym. Yeah, and that, I guess, like I mentioned before, it's the, the good bit and the bad bit about the low barrier to entry is that in the nine years I've been in operation, I've seen literally hundreds of people, PTs, come and go and try to set up the same thing in the same park, you know, right next to me, basically. And <laughs> within less than a year, they're gone, you know, so. Yeah, and like, it's simply because they don't run it like a business. They do cash, mm. they do session packs, when think about this, you can rent a park from the council, you can rent a community hall. So, mate, what we did for a long time is we rented community halls. So mm. we had one of our locations at Wall's End, got it to 258 members in 2018, and mm. our rent was like 200 bucks a week, and we had like 20 kettlebells, yeah. right? So like, that's how we made a lot of our money was having these ridiculously cheap rents, having next to no equipment. And when we'd open a location, Chris, like, our only expense was the marketing mm, yeah. and then we could just outspend everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine once again, not saying franchising is bad, but I can't imagine spending two fifty on a fit out the territory, the systems having zero members and then needing to spend $5,000 more. Like, mm, yeah, yeah. I think it would, it would start you in a place of scarcity unless you've got a big bit, a big bankroll. Yeah, definitely. So in regards to Step Into Life, you mentioned they're no, are they no longer around, is that correct? No, they, they folded just coming in to COVID in March 2020. And in your opinion, mate, like you mentioned reinventing the wheel, like if you're the, the and you have experience to talk on this because you've doubled it since leaving, what were they doing that you could have improved and, and what would have you changed? I think so... I sort of saw the writing on the wall earlier than when they folded. So I started sort of experimenting with things uh, like shortening the session so we could fit two sessions in in the morning rather than just they were, they were doing one-hour sessions, which meant you could only really do one every morning, which opened up about double the time slots that we had yeah. on offer, which was a no-brainer for me. It wasn't really a, big more, a lot more investment in time, but it just gave people more options. It gave them went from basically 12 options a week to 24 options a week. And that really exploded the growth. Yeah. And um, at the end of the day, Sally only needs 45 minutes. Yeah, that's right. And, and it was, I mean, we, it was a little bit of a sell to the current members to say we're dropping from an hour to 45, but if you can justify why you're doing it, we, there was a lot of time wasting in those hour sessions. So we just compacted them, made them more full of exercise and less breaks. Um, and we haven't really looked back since doing that. And, and what a value proposition, right? So at Breakthrough Active, we have 5.15, 6 a.m., 6.45, or we could just have 5 and 6. Mm. We get a third session. Our members have more options. 
and they're, they're, they only need 45 minutes on an hour. So you're shortening the amount of time they need to invest in your program while giving them more options. So it's a win, win, win. There's a few CrossFit gyms around us, Chris, that have sessions that go for an hour 10. Because mm. right? they have a 20-minute warm-up before they start one hour being their statching. I'm not saying it's bad, but like, what about that, that, that logistical nightmare in hour 10? Yeah, no, that, <laughs> that sounds difficult. So step into life, they were hour sessions. When you moved to 45 minutes and you said, hey, Mr. Step into life, like I'm seeing great success with this. What was what was their response? And did they take feedback from you or what was that like? Yeah, I think I was actually employed to work in their head office for the sort of the last six months of their existence. So hopefully that wasn't an indication of the job I did for them. But um, And we started to really play around with things and look at I mean, that was, that was a small change that made a big difference for me. Probably wouldn't make as big a difference for people on lower memberships, but um, it, it really came down to the marketing and just people didn't know, particularly in Queensland, we had, I think, probably six or seven franchises Queensland-wide. No one knew the brand, so it was about letting people know that we actually existed. We knew the product was very good and that there was still a real need for outdoor training and, and a market for outdoor training, but just people didn't know we existed. So, and, and we, we did very little marketing towards the end. So we were competing against their 45s and fit stops whose budget are obviously huge. Um, so we just had no presence. And I, I thought, I, like I said, I knew the product was good. I just needed to let people, we needed to let people know about it. And it was, it was a case of, I think, a lot of the franchise partners were struggling, so they didn't have the money to invest. So it's kind of a case of well, you can't, you don't have enough money to spend, but you can't make any money because you, you're not advertising. So yeah. the, the bigger franchises like myself had the money, and coming out of COVID, we invested in that and found that that was what was really missing was just letting people know that we existed. And with your marketing, mate, were you doing more branding stuff? Were you doing more awareness, video views? Were you doing testimonials? Or were we doing like call to action, 28-day um, challenge, sweet challenge? For me, coming out of COVID and, and starting with my new brand, it was just a lot of awareness. Um, but it was also, we did eight-week challenges, which were really successful for us and just put a heap of money into Facebook ads. And that's how the business grew. That's what I like to hear, Chris, a heap of money into yeah. Facebook ads. Yeah. It, it works. Well, it has for me. I've pretty much that's all I've used. I don't do letterbox drops. I don't do a lot of, you know, joint ventures with people. I just spend a lot of money on Facebook and, and it works. Well, with, with Facebook ads, right? Like if you're a gym owner listening or a PT or an online coach and you haven't used them before, imagine you run an online program, Chris, and it's a program, it's a 12-week strength and conditioning program for fighters that have an upcoming fight. So you can say, attention, are you interested in improving your fighting? Are you interested in improving your strength conditioning for your fighting? You can choose five interests, Conor McGregor, UFC, mixed martial arts, Ronda Rousey, UFC, and you can place the ad in front of that person, right? So that's online. But for local, you can drop a pin in Graceful, do a five-kilometer radius, attention, ladies in Graceful, age between 30 and 40, are you interested in training outdoors because you're not a big fan of the gym? Like still today I'm blown away by how easy Facebook has made it for us to put our ad in front of the right person. Yeah. And like when I see people, I'm saying advertising on buses don't work or letterbox drops don't work, but like if someone's driving the work, driving to work and they see your big face on a bus, 
even if they inquire a month later, if you don't survey them, like how do you know where they came from? Mm, yeah. If you're running radio ads, like I've, I haven't listened to the radio for like 10 years. Yeah. So like, I guess like it's almost too simple. It's almost too good to be true. Yeah. And I, I think um, the, the other key point there is that I think a lot of, I, I worked with a lot of business partners when I was working for Step Into Life and found that, they would say, I'd say to them, oh, have you tried Facebook ads? And they go, oh, yeah, I threw $100 at it and I got no leads. And that was pretty much how I operated before I started using agencies prior to COVID was I would throw two or $300 a month at some ad that I made up myself. I'd get no leads and then I wouldn't do any marketing for another six months until we came up to another challenge. So I think investing your money in a a really professional uh, operation like yourself and Mitch um, Thank you. Is, is really worth it um, because doing it yourself, even if you have a, a slight knowledge, like I think it's just a waste of money and a lot, a lot of a waste of your time as well. Um, it's an interesting thing when gym owners say Facebook ads don't work. Like that is just not factually true. No. Like they haven't worked for what you've done. And one of the best examples I can give you, Chris, is we actually bought our Adamstown gym. Uh, we bought it in 2019. And when we are going through the sale, I said, hey, Mr. Owner, have you done much Facebook advertising before? He goes, yep, Jamie, I've spent heaps of money on ads. They just don't work. Yeah. And then when we actually purchased the gym, we had access to his ad account and he spent $75 in a three-year period. And the ad was, hey, we accept fitness passport. So three years, $75, shit offer. Facebook ads don't work when that I'm not sure what that is, Chris, whether it's a, a belief around money, whether they felt like they're gambling, but I know plenty yeah. of gym owners would throw a hundred bucks in the pokies. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, I think it's just a case of that. They, they think they've tried and they've thrown some money at it and nothing's happened. So they just write it off as well. It doesn't work. Um, and I've probably been guilty of that in the past, but I've seen, the power of a good agency working for you and, and good ad spend. And you have to be willing to throw some money at it and sort of take the plunge. But for me, it's it's really what's grown my business over the last sort of three years or so. Well, Mitch and I call it the money button, where like once you've got it dialed in and you know you can get a, get a cost per lead, cost per call, cost per booking, cost per sale, if you spend $100 on Facebook, you will get a new client. If your new client stays for 12 months, that's worth $2,500 to 25 to one ROAS. Like you would make mm. that bet every single time. And yeah. it's a really great saying, Chris. I got it from Rudy Meyer. He's a marketer in America. And it's like you either get customers or you're getting data. Mm. And that data is so important because maybe you, you place 10 ads, maybe eight of them bomb, but the last two make you so much more money than the first eight that bombed. And yeah. every single area is different. Every single location is different. It's a matter of all, what type of Facebook ads work in your area? And we're working with an agency comes in handy. We've got a pretty good success rate of we don't need to fail eight times before we find the first two winners because yeah. we've got the data in the background, right? Yeah. So it's really interesting, Chris, that like you, you put a lot of your success down to obviously you run a great business, great program, but how you find customers has been predominantly through through Facebook ads. Mm, yeah. 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 Pretty much. That's like I said, that's all we've really built the business on over the nine years. 
I was speaking to an online coach the other day that we coach with. Uh, they did a hundred grand last month. Super impressive. Three young people, legends. And I had the concern, well, Jamie, we need to diversify our platform. We need to go to Instagram, we need to go to TikTok, we need to go to Google in case Facebook shuts down. Now, while I've heard that before, and while I somewhat agree with you can't rely on all of your traffic from one source, let's say Facebook ads do shut down, the money's just going to go to the next platform. Mm-hmm. And then we just use that platform. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't believe in I don't believe in Facebook ads. I believe in a paid acquisition strategy. I think over the time that platform will change change eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So mate, when you left Step Into Life, so was it that your franchise franchise agreement expired and then you had the you had the thought to rebrand it all? Like how did that transition from Step Into Life to the Outdoor Club? Yeah, so as I said before, I sort of had seen the writing on the wall. There was a changeover of ownership that really the new guy that came in didn't have much of a clue of what he was doing, so the guys that were doing better in the group were getting together and thought we better start looking at rebranding. Um, and so coming into COVID, obviously everything shut down and the management of Step Into Life didn't really have a clue of what we were going to do. So I, yeah, that was a very steep learning curve for me. So basically I shut my business, I think on the 23rd of March, uh, which was a Wednesday, the following Monday, we were operating online. So that was a very, as I said, a very steep learning curve and, and really difficult to sort of transition everyone from training outdoors to going online, particularly because my demographic is slightly older and then they weren't, a lot of them weren't used to using Zoom. Like we, most of them yeah. hadn't used it for work. Uh, so we got on Zoom, we kept about 75% of our clientele and it ended up being a really great thing. I would go to the park every day and stream a class live from the park just to get outside and make it feel like it was still outside um and and i love love that chris i love that chris because you found a way it wasn't ideal your clients didn't understand zoom but i think what clients wanted in that time period is they were happy to pay their membership but it wasn't a charity they had to know that you were working your ass off for it yeah and you were going above and beyond to provide the best service possible in conditions that weren't ideal and that's why you kept majority of your memberships which, which is amazing mate yeah and that's where i sort of came back come back to the strength of building that community is even though it wasn't like you said ideal they still wanted that connection with their community and even though it was across a, uh, a computer screen there was still connection there and we did things like a, after exercise drinks on a friday night online and did trivia stuff and it was it really made the best of a very bad situation. It's funny you say that. We actually hosted a trivia night online too. So it was just. Yeah. And, and it was really, it, again, it wasn't ideal, but it was still connection for those people, which a lot of people were missing during COVID. Um, but digressing from that is basically they didn't have a plan of what to do. So I created that and then shared it with a lot of franchisees. But then the talk was that, well, what are we really paying our franchise fee for? And I was quite, being one of the more successful, I was paying quite a bit each month. Um, so I kind of led the, the transition for the people that wanted to get out of, out of the franchise and the writing was on the wall. So I think the franchise owner was happy to ask for us to buy ourselves out. Um, and that was a very, very stressful and difficult negotiation yeah. period um, because... 
if you look at a franchise agreement, it's very, very heavily, heavily stacked in the favour of the franchisor. Um, and so it's very hard to get out of. And I still had over a year left on mine. So I, I negotiated very, very hard with the owner to get everyone out. And that was pretty much what dissolved the company overnight. So with your, with your franchise fee, was it a percentage of revenue or was it a monthly fee? Um, it was a percentage of revenue and plus um, an IT fee and a marketing fee. Okay. And say it was $1,000 per month, just, just throwing that number out. There could have been more, could have been less. In your eyes, your opinion, what did that get you in return? In the early days when we, we actually had good marketing and we had good business support, it, it got us a lot of support and it got us you know, on Google and on Facebook and ads and, and made the brand known. But towards the end, as they sort of started to struggle a bit financially, we didn't have a marketing manager for probably the last six months, so there was no ads happening. So, again, that was what brought up the questions about, well, what are we actually paying for? Yeah. Okay, okay, far out. And then you transitioned from Step Into Life to, to the Outdoor Club Graceville. And obviously the members, you would have 100 members, they didn't give a shit what you were called. No. They didn't like the franchise. They like Chris Hennessy. Yeah, and, so and that's what... The initial panic is, oh, I'm not going to be with that franchise anymore. But it was actually probably one of those situations where you think it's the worst thing, but it actually ends up being the best thing because um, it just gave me so much freedom. In the end, I felt like they were holding me back a little bit and because obviously there's restrictions about what you can and can't do within a franchise. Um, so basically getting rid of them allowed me to take my business in, in the direction I really wanted to take it. Um, in, and, in regards to the restrictions, I'm curious, what were some of those restrictions in that franchise or, or what were things that you wanted to do that you, that you couldn't do? Yeah, well, well, like I mentioned before, changing the sessions, the session duration was outside of, technically I wasn't able to do that because I think I was so successful and I was work, working in head office, they allowed me to do that. Um, but just in terms of advertising and, and what the structure of sessions. So they had all their sessions planned and you had to follow their session plans, um, which were probably quite outdated because they'd been around for 20 plus years. Um, and just use of certain types of equipment, not that it's all about equipment, but it, we went from using boxing hit shields to using focus pads. And that was a big change for our boxing classes, which has become very, very popular. Um, so something like that wouldn't have been allowed under the, the rules of the franchise. Um, so to have that freedom to experiment with new isn't things. That, isn't that amazing? Just that big change from the boxing shield to the focus pad is a huge, huge issue. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Right. But, and, and yeah, so they were the kind of things that we were just, I felt like I was being held back a little bit. Um, so yeah, having the freedom and, and also it freed up a lot of money that I wasn't paying them to do my own marketing and take that in the direction I wanted to go. Yeah, of course, of course. And that's the thing, like, if, if you're not getting, yeah, that's, that's, that's just really, really interesting, your experience with the franchise, how it started off really great, and then towards mm -hmm. the end, when, once it started to go poorly, then the support wasn't there, and it just snowballed into it dissolving overnight. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess that's the, the big risk you take with any franchise is that, it's so dependent on the person at the top. We had a fantastic owner who was a founder for 20 years and then within basically 18 months, a new owner took it from, you know, 100 plus franchises to dissolved. 
Yeah. One thing that kind of bothers me, mate, and this might upset some franchisors, franchisors if they hear it, but I have to say it because it bothers me, yeah. is people are still buying franchises through the big, big, big competitors out there. We all know who they are. And they're being promised 300, 350, 400 members. And I am not sure that is possible in a post-COVID world. I'm not sure that is possible with there being more competition than ever before. And what really bothers me, it really bothers me, is there's certain franchises that pop up overnight. They haven't been open for more than 12 months. As we know, Chris, it's the most exciting time to own a fitness business. It's the easiest time to own. They don't know what year two, three, four, and five looks like, but they sell a five-year agreement. And that's that's crazy. Like that is like, and like, I don't even blame the franchise all. I blame the franchise E for not asking the right questions. Mm. Like, what is the the average what is the average profit month 60? Mm. Yeah. Like, how many studios in their fifth year are still profitable? In that fifth year in the studio, is the owner running all the sessions or have they outsourced it? How many studio owners have multiple locations? Just I think the the education around the questions to ask a franchise or before buying in just, just needs to increase. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point about business duration is that the first year is exciting. You've got – it's new. Everyone's coming in. But from working with lots of business partners, I think that – third, fourth, fifth year when things start to get a little bit difficult, when the excitement and energy from the opening year isn't there anymore and people start to sort of drop off, it's really what the business owner does then that really determines how whether they move forward successfully. And for me, in an outdoor setting, what I love about it is if I decided tomorrow I didn't want to run this business anymore, I can pretty much just walk out of it. Obviously, I wouldn't, but... Um, if you're in a five-year lease and you're halfway through, you can't make that decision. So you spend the next two and a half years really slogging it out. Um, yeah, and it's, pretty, and it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. Like if you're if you're a gym owner looking to open a business, before you open up a, a new franchise in a new area, why don't you go to your local park, run 6 a.m. Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Monday through – sorry, 6 a.m. Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Monday through Friday – chuck a few thousand dollars into Facebook ads, pay an agency, do a bit of a pre-sales. Chris's brand new boot camp opening on the 1st of next month. Who's interested? And you might find out pretty quickly that, hey, this area is doing great. I've got a great response here. People like what I'm offering. I'm there. Now I'm going to get a building lease as opposed to getting the building lease before even opening. It's just Mm -hmm. like we've always done it the exact opposite way, Chris, where we've had 100 members before we opened yeah, as yeah. opposed to opening and then getting 100 members. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I think for me it was very important that I'd lived in the area for quite a few years before I started the business as well. So I had an idea of what competition was around, what the demographic was like, whether it would be suited to outdoor training. And outdoor training won't work everywhere, just like a fit stop might not work everywhere. Um, and I think it's good to have that local knowledge before you open up a business and definitely before you commit to a five-year term. 100%. We opened up a boot camp, Chris, uh, in Preston, which is like the Western Sydney. And the fear was, well, what if I open up this big expansive timetable and it doesn't work out, which is a very, very valid fear. And I thought, well, hang on. Well, let's just do a 28-day beginner boot camp starting X date. Let's try and fill it. We ended up getting 53 people into that boot camp starting day one. 
They roll over day 28. You do a big grand opening. Before you know it, week five, you've got 70 members. Mm-hmm. And But worst case, you have zero members. And, and the truth is that worst case, somewhere on earth, some locations, that would happen. Yeah. Right. But I, I guess for Jumanas, what, what, what I want is just to make sure that like you do not make people always talk about, oh, stop spending money on coffee, stop spending money on fast food. No, no, no. Drink the coffee. Just avoid those catastrophic decisions, mm. those catastrophic leases that go for 10 years. Yeah. If you do that, I think you're going to be pretty good in business. Yeah, I think so, too. One thing we discussed, Chris, before jumping on uh, is. If a new gym opens in Graceville tomorrow, I think people in the area think, ah, oh, another gym. How many gyms are open? How many more do we need? But I truly think that's where outdoor training is special. The unique selling point is that it's outdoor. The unique selling point is there might be 50 gyms in the Brisbane area, but how many successful outdoor programs are there? So you almost niche down in the area of the go-to outdoor provider when if you have a gym people will chop and change. So, I mean, I, I just love the power of outdoor training. Yeah, it, it is. We, and like I said, there has been plenty of competition that's come and gone in the last nine years. Um, but I think the fact that we run a full timetable across six days makes a difference. And early on, there was plenty of times where I thought about cancelling my 9.15 sessions. Every year I'd have a discussion with my wife and say, there's only three people turning up. I actually remember for the first six months, it was just one person and I in the 9.15 sessions and I thought these are hopeless but now they've got you know 15 20 people in them so it's just being persistent with that big timetable and there'd be there were early days I was turning up to the park and there'd be no one at the session and that was quite demoralizing but I thought I just got to stick to it and keep stay persistent and, and keep going with it and it's it's definitely paid off. And now you're entering your ninth year in business with 199 members. Mate, I wish you had 200. It would have been a better story. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, that's it's your problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say that in regards to not cancelling sessions. So many phone calls I've had for our gym in particular. So, yep, I was going to X location. They had a 6 a.m. session, but they'd always cancel a session the night before if there was only one person going. If you're a gym owner and you had that timetable, commit to that timetable, stick it out because you will fill it up if, if, if you're like Chris and, and you are persistent. Yeah. And I think uh, also one of the things about outdoor training is not everyone wants to get up at 4.30 in the middle of winter in the dark and go and train people. Um, I love it. And I mean, it's one of the difficult things with finding staff as well. Not everyone wants to train outdoors, even in the middle of summer when you can go to a nice air, condi- air conditioned gym. Um, but it's something that I really love and I've got some fantastic staff at the moment that also love it, which I'm yeah. really blessed with. I think it actually builds a community because the 20 people at 6am when it's zero degrees outside, they're going through something difficult together mm. and it, it just creates that bonding. Yeah. And, and I mean, our, our 5.30 sessions across the year don't change really. Actually, they've been massive in the middle of winter. We've had, we had 40 people there yesterday at 530 in the cold and I mean it's Queensland cold but it's still cold um, yeah. and it's dark and you know that when you can go to a fully lit gym where you've got you know nice warm heaters on um, it, it does it really builds a, a, a sense of community amongst those people 100% and I think going back to like 
training outdoors with people compared to the nice facility that's air conditioned, a lot of gym owners make decisions based on what they would do. Mm. Now, personally, Chris, I wouldn't get up in the middle of winter and run around the park with a bunch of women. Yeah. I would go to an anytime fitness. Yeah. <laughs> but you're forgetting that you, are, I am not your avatar. Like mm. my opinion does not matter. Yeah. These are people that you are going after. And we discussed before, but your main group of people is women aged 30 to 60. Yeah. So the same way I wouldn't want to run, a, run around a park at 6 a.m. in the morning, they do not want to walk into an anytime fitness with blaring music yeah. with 35 guys hanging around the squat rack. Yeah, correct. Cool. So, mate, I guess, like, what would your advice be to someone who's just finished their Cert 3, Cert 4 in fitness? They want to start their own business, but they don't know what to do. Yeah, I would say the best thing you could do and probably the best investment of your money if you have some is to invest in a good coach, someone with experience or find a mentor. It might not even be someone that's paid. Uh, I know when I started with Step Into Life, the first thing I did when I signed up is I found the most successful business partner in Australia, which was a guy called Shannon Barry in West Lakes. And he became like my mentor. And I just felt he was successful. He was where I wanted to be. I would just copy everything he did. So whenever I struck an, an issue in my business, I'd get straight on the phone to Shannon and he would tell me, I'll do this. This is what I do. And I do that. And surprise, surprise, I became as successful as he was. So um, I think finding a really good mentor that it has been successful and has been and lived through what you're trying to do would be essential. Um, but in terms of setting up a business, it's just about like any business, just committing to it. And for me, coming from a teaching background, I never wanted to go back to teaching. So that was my why. And I was going to do everything. I was going to move heaven and earth to make this business a success because I didn't want to go back to teaching with my tail between my legs. Um, so you've got to have that, that work ethic and that real drive to be successful and know that in any business, but particularly in fitness, because there's so much competition is you just got to stick at it and go through the hard days where no one might turn up, but you just got to keep turning up every day and doing those little one percenters every day, like checking in with your people that haven't been there. It, it would be easy just to let people not come. But if you check in with people, that's what builds your community. That's what keeps them accountable and keeps them not feeling like a number, particularly if you've got a large business. Mm. Understanding your why, like it's so cliche, it's so cheesy, but it's so true. Mm. I have a similar why, Chris. So my first job at a high school, I worked for Centrelink. Yeah. Um, I was in a call center for the family assistance office. Yeah. I left there February 9, 2012. And like, I am not going back there. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That is like my, my biggest fear on earth would be going back there, as you said, with my tail between my legs. And it helps you get through those sessions at 9.15 where there's one person there. Yeah. Yeah. It helps you get through those days where you have more cancellations. It helps you get through those days where your ads aren't working. Like, I don't remember many days, Chris, where I'm not putting out some, some type of fire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a small business and you either like that or you don't. And I think uh, the biggest mistake that a lot of people make getting back to franchises, they just buy into a franchise and think that there's going to be 300 people turn up tomorrow and not understand that there's still a lot of work between zero members and 200 members. Build it and they come, hey? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think just everyone uses this example, but it's accurate. Blockbuster. 
yeah. like video easy two of the yeah. biggest companies in australian history are now gone yeah. due to netflix amazon disney hulu just because x gym got to x number of members in 2015 please use common sense and understand mm. that there was zero competition then yeah please use common sense and understand that group fitness was booming then it was mm. the first of its kind it would make sense it was easier to get members. It would make sense that more people would be in your program. There's no competition. Yeah. And Chris, like, like that's what happened to us. We got very, very fortunate. We opened our first location, got it to 508 members. Now, if myself, Riley Stewart, Jimmy Pomponio, the best fitness business coaches in Australia got together and went to Curry Curry and opened mm -hmm. a boot camp a day in 2023 with a team of 10 VAs, yeah. We could not get it to 508 members at a fucking different time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I very different. And I think just yeah, like understanding that like times change. And yeah. I truly believe, Chris, that fitness businesses need to be getting leaner. They need to be more profitable off less members mm. and not thinking about, oh man, I can't even imagine having 400 members. And having a 10% churn rate and needing yeah. to find 40 members every single month just to just to stay where you are. It is just unbelievable amounts of stress. Yeah, yeah. Completely agree, which is why I've stayed outdoors. Is I've I've gone down the path of looking at a bricks and mortar quite a few times, even looking at diff several different franchises. But when you look at the overheads and the amount of members that you need just to break even, uh, it's kind of scary. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, Chris, I want to thank you so much for being on today. As I mentioned, I've never met a person with an outdoor program that has lasted for nine years and in its ninth year has 199 members. It's a real credit to you as a human being, as a business owner, and just having an amazing outdoor program. And I'll leave it with this, guys. Chris is a very, very humble man. If you do 20% of what Chris has done and you have 40 members, those 40 members pay you 50 a week. It's two grand a week. If your rent in the park is $200, that's a nice business. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. I agree. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Really, really appreciate it. Have a lovely, lovely day. Cheers. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Chris.